Lucretius, On the Nature of Things, Book One. Mother of Aeneas's sons, joy of men and gods, Venus the life-giver, who beneath the gliding stars of heaven fillest with life the sea that carries the ships and the land that bears the crops. For thanks to thee every tribe of living things is conceived and comes forth to look upon the light of the sun. Thou, goddess, thou dost turn to flight the winds and the clouds of heaven, thou at thy coming. For thee, earth, the quaint artificer, puts forth her sweet-scented flowers. For thee, the levels of ocean smile and the sky its anger past gleams with spreading light. For when once the face of the spring day is revealed and the teeming breeze of the west wind is loosed from prison and blows strong, first the birds in high heaven herald thee, goddess, and thine approach, their hearts thrilled with thy might. Then the tame beasts grow wild and bound over the fat pastures and swim the racing rivers. So surely enchained by thy charm, each follows thee in hot desire whither thou goest before to lead him on. Yea, through seas and mountains and tearing rivers and the leafy haunts of birds and verdant plains, thou dost strike fond love into the hearts of all and makest them in hot desire to renew the stock of their races, each after his own kind. And since thou alone art pilot to the nature of things, and nothing without thine aid comes forth into the bright coasts of light, nor waxes glad nor lovely, I long that thou shouldest be my helper in writing these verses, which I essay to trace on the nature of things, for the son of the Memni, my friend whom thou, goddess, through all his life hast willed to be bright with every grace beyond his fellows. Therefore the more, goddess, grant a lasting loveliness to my words. Bring it to pass that meantime the wild works of warfare may be lulled to sleep over all seas and lands. For thou only canst bless mortal men with quiet peace. Since tis Mavers, the Lord of hosts, who guides the wild works of war, and he upon thy lap oft flings himself back, conquered by the eternal wound of love, and then pillowing his shapely neck upon thee, and looking up he feeds with love his greedy eyes, gazing wistfully toward thee, while, as he lies back, his breath hangs upon thy lips, do thou, goddess, as he leans resting on thy sacred limbs, bend to embrace him and pour forth the sweet petition from thy lips, seeking, great lady, gentle peace for the Romans. For neither can we in our country's time of trouble set to our task with mind undistressed, nor amid such doings can Memmius's noble son fail the fortunes of the state. For the rest do thou lend empty ears and a keen mind, severed from cares to true philosophy, lest, before they are understood, you should leave aside in disdain my gifts set forth for you with unflagging zeal. For 
Of the most high law of the heaven and the gods, I will set out to tell you, and I will reveal the first beginnings of things, from which nature creates all things, and increases and fosters them, and into which nature too dissolves them again at their perishing. These, in rendering our account, is to our want to call matter or the creative body of things, and to name them the seeds of things, and again to term them the first bodies, since from them first all things have their being. When the life of man lay foul to sea and groveling upon the earth, crushed by the weight of religion, which showed her face from the realms of heaven, lowering upon mortals with dreadful mien, "'Twas a man of Greece who dared first to raise his mortal eyes to meet her, "'and first to stand forth to meet her. "'Him neither the stories of the gods nor thunderbolts checked, "'nor the sky with its vengeful roar, "'but all the more spurred the eager daring of his mind "'to yearn to be the first to burst through the close-set bolts upon the doors of nature.' And so it was that the lively force of his mind won its way, and he passed on far beyond the fiery walls of the world, and in mind and spirit traversed the boundless whole. Whence in victory he brings us tidings, what can come to be, and what cannot, yea, and in what way each thing has its power limited, and its deep-set boundary stone. And so religion and revenge is cast beneath men's feet and trampled, and victory raises us to heaven. Herein I have one fear, lest perchance you think that you are starting on the principles of some unholy reasoning and setting foot upon the path of sin. Nay, but on the other hand, again and again our foe, religion, has given birth to deeds sinful and unholy. Even... Uh, as at Anulus, the chosen chieftains of the Danai, the first of all the host, foully stained with the blood of Ephanisa, the altar of the Virgin of the Crossroads. For as soon as the band braided upon her virgin locks, streamed from her either cheek in equal lengths, as soon as she saw her sorrowing sire stand at the altar's side, and near him the attendants hiding their knives, and her countrymen shedding tears at the sight of her, tongue-tied with terror. Sinking on her knees, she fell to earth. Nor could it avail the luckless maid at such a time that she first had given the name of father to the king, for seized by men's hands, all trembling was she led to the altars, not that, when the ancient rite of sacrifice was fulfilled, she might be escorted by the clear cry of Hymen, but in the very moment of marriage, a pure victim, she might foully fall, sorrowing beneath a father's slaughtering stroke, that a happy and hallowed starting might be granted to the fleet. Such evil deeds could religion prompt. You yourself, sometime vanquished by the fearsome threats of the seers' sayings, will seek to desert from us. Nay, indeed, how many a dream may they even now conjure up before you, which might avail to overthrow your schemes of life, and confound in fear all your fortunes. 
and justly so, for if men could see that there is a fixed limit to their sorrows, then with some reason they might have the strength to stand against the scruples of religion and the threats of seers. As it is, there is no means, no power to withstand, since everlasting is the punishment they must fear in death. For they know not what is the nature of the soul, whether it is born or else finds its way into them at their birth, and again whether it is torn apart by death and perishes with us, or goes to see the shades of Orcus and his waste pools, or by the god's will implants itself in other breasts, as our own Aeneas sang, who first bore down from pleasant Helicon the wreath of deathless leaves to win bright fame among the tribes of Italian peoples. And yet, despite this, Aeneas sets forth in the discourse of his immortal verse that there is besides a realm of Acheron where neither our souls nor bodies endure, but as it were, images pale in wondrous wise, and thence he tells that the form of Homer, ever green and fresh, rose to him and began to shed salt tears and in converse to reveal the nature of things. Therefore, we must give good account of the things on high, in what way the courses of sun and the moon came to be, and by what force all things are governed on earth. And also, before all else, we must see by keen reasoning whence comes the soul and the nature of the mind, and what thing it is that meets us and affrights our minds in waking life, when we are touched with disease, or again when buried in sleep, so that we may seem to hear and see hard by those who have met death and whose bones are held in the embrace of earth. Nor does it pass untouched of my mind that it is a hard task in Latin verses to set clearly in the light the dark discoveries of the Greeks, above all when many things must be treated in new words, because of the poverty of our tongue and the newness of the themes. Yet your merit and the pleasure of your sweet friendship, for which I hope, urge me to bear the burden of any toil and lead me on to watch through the calm nights, searching by what words, yea, and in what measures I may avail to spread before your mind a bright light whereby you may see to the heart of hidden things. This terror, then, this darkness of the mind, must need be scattered not by the rays of the sun and the gleaming shafts of day, but by the outer view and the inner law of nature, whose first rule shall take for its start from us, from this, that nothing is ever begotten of nothing by divine will. Fear, forsooth, so constrains all mortal men, because they behold many things come to pass on earth and in the sky, the cause of whose workings they can by no means see, and think that a divine power brings them about. Therefore, when we have seen that nothing can be created out of nothing, then more rightly after that shall we discern that for which we search, both whence each thing can be created, and in what way all things come to be without the aid of gods. For if things came to being from nothing, 
Every kind might be born from all things, not would need a seed. First men might arise from the sea, and from the land the race of scaly creatures, and birds burst forth from the sky, cattle and other herds, and all the tribes of wild beasts, with no fixed law of birth, would haunt tilth and desert, nor would the same fruits stay constant to the trees, but all would change. All trees might avail to bear all fruits. Why, were there not bodies to bring each thing to birth, how could things have a fixed, unchanging mother? But as it is, since all things are produced from fixed seeds, each thing is born and comes forth into the coasts of light, out of that which has in it the substance and first bodies of each. And tis for this cause that all things cannot be begotten of all, because in fixed things there dwells a power set apart. Or again, why do we see the roses in spring and the corn in summer's heat, and the vines bursting out when autumn summons them, if it be not that when, in their own time, the fixed seeds of things have flowed together, then is disclosed each thing that comes to birth, while the season is at hand, and the lively earth in safety brings forth the fragile things into the coasts of light. But if they sprang from nothing, suddenly would they arise at uncertain intervals, and in hostile times of year, since indeed there would be no first beginnings which might be kept apart from creative union at an ill-starred season. Nay more, there would be no need for lapse of time for the increase of things upon the meeting of the seed if they could grow from nothing, for little children would grow suddenly to youths, and at once trees would come forth, leaping from the earth, but if this it is well seen that nothing comes to pass, since all things grow slowly as is natural from a fixed seed, and as they grow, preserve their kind, so that you can know that each thing grows great and is fostered out of its own substance. There is this too, that without fixed rain showers in the year, the earth could not put forth its gladdening produce nor again held apart from food could the nature of living things renew its kind or preserve its life, so that rather you may think that many bodies are common to many things, as we see letters are to words, than that without first beginnings anything can come to being. Once more, why could not nature produce men so large that on their feet they might wade through the waters of ocean or rend asunder mighty mountains with their hands, or live to overpass many generations of living men, if it not be because fixed substance has been appointed for the beginning of things, from which it is ordained what can rise. Therefore, we must confess that nothing can be brought to being out of nothing, inasmuch as it needs a seed for things, from which each may be produced and brought forth into the gentle breezes of the air. Lastly, inasmuch as we see that tilled grounds are better than the untilled, and when worked by hands yield better produce, 
we must know that there are in the earth first beginnings of things, which we call to forth by birth by turning the teeming sods with the plowshare and drilling the soil of the earth. But if there were none such, you would see all things without toil of ours of their own will come to be far better. Then follows this, that nature breaks up each thing again into its first bodies, nor does she destroy aught into nothing. For if anything were mortal in all its parts, each thing would on a sudden be snatched from our eyes and passed away. For there would be no need of any force, such as might cause disunion in its parts and unloose its fastenings. But as it is, because all things are put together of everlasting seeds, until some force has met them to batter things asunder with its blow, or to make its way inward through the empty voids and break things up, nature suffers not the destruction of anything to be seen. Moreover, if time utterly destroys whatsoever through age it takes from sight, and devours all its substance, how is it that Venus brings back the race of living things after their kind into the light of life, or when she has, how does earth, the quaint artificer, nurse and increase them, furnishing food for them after their kind? How is it that its native springs and the rivers from without, coming from afar, keep the sea full? How is it that the sky feeds the stars? For infinite time in the days that are gone, by must needs have devoured all things that are of mortal bodies. But if in all that while, in the ages that are gone by, those things that have existed of which the sum of things consists and is replenished, assuredly they are blessed with an immortal nature, all things cannot then be turned to naught. And again, the same force and cause would destroy all things alike, unless an eternal substance held them together, part with part interwoven closely or loosely by its fastenings. For in truth, a touch would be cause enough of death, seeing that none of these things would be of everlasting body, whose texture any kind of force would be bound to break asunder. But as it is, because the fastenings of the first elements are variously put together, and their substance is everlasting, things endure with body unharmed until there meets them a force proved strong enough to overcome the texture of each. No single thing then passes back to nothing, but by all dissolution pass back into the first bodies of matter. Lastly, the rains pass away when the sky, our father, has cast them headlong into the lap of earth, our mother. But the bright crops spring up, and the branches grow green upon the trees. The trees, too, grow and are laden with fruit. By them, next, our race and the race of beasts is nourished. Through them, we see glad towns alive with children and leafy woods on every side ring with a young bird's cry. Through them, the cattle wearied with fatness lay their limbs to rest over the glad pastures, and the white milky stream trickles from their swollen udders. 
Through them, a new brood with tottering legs sports wanton among the soft grass, their baby hearts thrilling with the pure milk. Not utterly, then, perish all things that are seen, since nature renews one thing from out another, nor suffers anything to be begotten, unless she be requited by another's death. Come now, since I have taught you that things cannot be created of naught, nor likewise, when begotten, be called back to nothing, lest by any chance you should begin nevertheless to distrust my words, because the first beginnings of things cannot be described with eyes, let me tell you, besides, of other bodies which you must needs confess yourself, are among things and yet cannot be seen. First of all, the might of the awakened wind lashes the oceans, and overwhelms vast ships and scatters the clouds, and anon scouring the plains with tearing hurricane, it strews them with great trees, and harries the mountain tops with blasts that rend the woods. With such fierce whistling, the wind rages and ravens with angry roar. There are therefore, we may be sure, unseen bodies of wind, which sweep sea and land, yea, and the clouds of heaven, and tear and harry them with sudden hurricane. They stream on and spread havoc in no other way than when the soft nature of water is borne on in a flood overflowing in a moment, swollen by a great rush of water dashing down from the high mountains after bounteous rains and hurling together broken branches from the woods and whole trees too. Nor can the strong bridges bear up against the sudden force of the advancing flood. In such wise, turbid with much rain, the river rushes with might and main against the piles. Roaring aloud, it spreads ruin, and rolls and dashes beneath its waves, huge rocks and all that bars its flood. Thus then the blasts of wind, too, must needs be borne on, and when, like some strong stream, they have swooped towards any side, they push things and dash them on with constant assault. Sometimes an eddying whirl, they seize them up and bear them away in swiftly swirling hurricane. Wherefore again and again there are unseen bodies of wind, inasmuch as in their deeds and ways they are found to rival mighty streams whose body all may see. Then again we smell the manifold sense of things, and yet we do not ever descry them coming to the nostrils, nor do we behold warm heat, nor can we grasp cold with the eyes, nor is it ours to descry voices, yet all these things must needs consist of bodily nature, inasmuch as they can make impact on our senses, for if it be not a body, Nothing can touch and be touched. Once more, garments hung up upon the shore where the waves break, grow damp, and again spread in the sun they dry. Yet never has it been seen in what way the moisture of the water has sunk into them, nor again in what way it has fled before the heat. Therefore the moisture is dispersed into tiny particles, which the eyes can in no way see 
Nay more, as the sun's year rolls round again and again, the ring on the finger becomes thin by beneath by wearing the fall of dripping water hollows the stone. The bent iron plowshare secretly grows smaller in the fields, and we see the paved stone streets worn away by the feet of the multitude. Again, by the city gates, the brazen statues reveal that their right hands are wearing thin through the touch of those who greet them ever and again as they pass upon their way. All these things when we see grow less as they are rubbed away. Yet what particles leave them at such moment? The envious nature of our sight has shut us out from seeing. Lastly, whatever time in nature adds little by little to things, impelling them to grow in due proportion, the straining sight of the eye can never behold, nor again wherever things grow old through time and decay. Nor where rocks overhang the sea, devoured by the thin salt spray, could you see what they lose at each moment. Tis then by bodies unseen that nature works her will. And yet all things are not held close, pressed on every side by the nature of body, for there is void in things. To have learnt this will be a profit to you in dealing with many things. It will save you from wandering in doubt and always questioning about the sum of things and distrusting my words. There is then a void, mere space, untouchable and empty. For if there were not, by no means could things move. For that which is the office of body to offend and hinder would at very moment be present to all things. Nothing, therefore, could advance, since nothing could give the example of yielding place. But as it is, through seas and lands and the high tracks of heaven, we descry many things by many means, moving in diverse ways before our eyes, which, if there were not void, would not be so much robbed and bulked of restless motion, but rather could in no way have been born at all, since matter would on every side be in close-packed stillness. Again, however solid things may be thought to be, yet from this you can discern that they are of rare body. In rocky caverns, the liquid moisture of water trickles through, and all weeps with copious dripping. Food spreads itself this way and that into the body of every living thing. Trees grow and thrust forth their fruit in due season, because the food is dispersed into every part of them, from the lowest roots through the stems and all the branches. Noises creep through walls and fly through the shut places in the house, stiffening cold works its way to the bones. But were there no empty spaces along which each of these bodies might pass, you would not see this come to pass by any means. Again, why do we see one thing surpass another in weight, when its size is no whit bigger? For if there is as much body in a bale of wool as in lead, it is natural it should weigh as much since tis the office of body to press all things downward. But on the other hand, the nature of void remains without weight. So because it is just as big, yet seems lighter, it tells us, we may be sure, that it has more void. 
but on the other hand, the heavier thing avows that there is more body in it, and that it contains far less empty space within. Therefore, we may be sure that which we are seeking with keen reasoning does exist mingled in things, that which we call void. Herein lest that which some vainly imagine should avail to lead you astray from the truth, I am constrained to forestall it. They say that the waters give place to the scaly creatures as they press forward and open up a liquid path, because the fishes leave places behind to which the waters may flow together as they yield, and that even so other things too can move among themselves and change place, albeit the whole is solid. In very truth, this is all believed on false reasoning. For whither I ask, will the scaly creatures be able to move forward unless the waters have left an empty space? Again, whither will the waters be able to give place when the fishes cannot go forward? Either then we must deny motion to everybody, or we must say that void is mixed with things from which each thing can receive the first start of movement. Lastly, if two broad bodies leap asunder quickly from a meeting, surely it must needs be that air seizes upon all the void which comes to be between the bodies. Still, however rapid the rush with which it streams together as its currents hasten round, Yet in one instant the whole empty space cannot be filled, for it must needs be that it fills each place as it comes, and then at last all the room is taken up. But if by chance anyone thinks that when bodies have leapt apart, then this comes to be because the air condenses, he goes astray, for in that case that becomes empty which was not so before, and again that is filled which was empty before, nor can air condense in such a way, nor, if indeed it could, could it, I trow, without void draw into itself, and gather into one all its parts. Wherefore, however long you hang back with much objection, you must needs confess at last there is void in things, and besides by telling you many an instance, I can heap up proof for my words but these light footprints are enough for a keen mind. By them you may detect the rest for yourself. For as dogs ranging over mountains often find by scent the lairs of wild beasts shrouded under leafage, for once they are set on sure traces of their track, so for yourself you will be able in such themes to all the secret places and draw out the truth thence. But if you are slack or shrink a little from my theme, this I can promise you, Memmius, on my own word. So surely will my sweet tongue pour forth to you bounteous draughts from the deep wellsprings out of the treasures of my heart, that I fear lest sluggish age creep over our limbs and loosen within us the fastenings of life. Before that, the whole store of proofs on one single theme be launched in my verses into your ears. But now, to weave again at the web, which is the task of my discourse, all nature then, as it 
is of itself is built of these two things, for there are bodies and the void, in which they are placed, and where they move hither and thither. For that body exists is declared by the feeling which all share alike, and unless faith in this feeling be firmly grounded at once and prevail, there will be naught to which we can make appeal about things hidden, so as to prove aught by the reasoning of the mind. And next, were there not room and empty space, which we call void, nowhere could bodies be placed, nor could they wander at all hither and thither in any direction. For this I have shown to you but a little while before. Besides these, there is nothing which you could say is parted from all body and sundered from void, which could be discovered, as it were a third nature in the list. For whatever shall exist must needs be something in itself, and if it suffer touch, however small and light, it will increase the count of body by a bulk great, or maybe small if it exists at all, and be added to its sum. But it, if it is not to be touched, inasmuch as it cannot on any side check anything from wandering through it and passing on its way, in truth, it will be that which we call empty void. Or again, whatsoever exists by itself will either do something or suffer itself while other things act upon it. Or it will be such that things may exist and go on in it. But nothing can do or suffer without body, nor afford room again, unless it be void and empty space. And so, besides void and bodies, no third nature by itself can be left in the list of things, which might either at any time fall within the purview of our senses, or be grasped by any one through a reasoning of the mind. For all things that have a name, you will find either properties linked to these two things, or you will see them to be their accidents. That is a property which in no case can be sundered or separated without the fatal disunion of the thing, as is weight to rocks, heat to fire, moisture to water, touch to all bodies, intangibility to the void. On the other hand, slavery, poverty, riches, liberty, war, concord, and other things by whose comings and goings the nature of things abides untouched, these we are used as is natural to call accidents. Even so, time exists not by itself, but from actual things comes a feeling, what was brought to a close in time past, than what is present now, and further what is going to be here thereafter. And it must be avowed that no man feels time by itself apart from the motion or quiet rest of things. Then again, when men say that the rape of Tyndarus's daughter or the vanquishing of the Trojan tribes in war are things, beware that they do not perchance constrain us to avow that these things exist in themselves, just because the past ages have carried off beyond recall those races of men of whom, in truth, these were the accidents. For firstly, we might as well say, whatsoever has happened is an accident in one case of the countries, in another even of the regions of space, 
Or again, if there had been no substance of things, nor place and space, in which all things are carried on, never would the flame of love have been carried by the beauty of Tyndarus, nor swelling deep in the Phrygian heart of Alexander, have kindled the burning battles of savage war, nor unknown of the Trojans would the timber horse have set Pergamum aflame at dead of night, when the sons of the Greeks issued from its womb. So that you may see clearly that all events from first to last do not exist, and are not by themselves like body, nor can they be spoken of in the same way as the being of the void, but rather so that you might justly call them the accidents of body and place in which they are carried on, one and all.